Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour here on Trending Always a joy to be with you for our weekly happy hour. Today, we're going to talk about how when we gut Sundays right, we're actually happier. We'll also talk about seven tips for how to sleep better. A couple weeks ago, we were joined by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. He was talking about the global sleep epidemic and the bottom line of how when we get less sleep, there's a trend toward not only traffic deaths, suicidality, severe chronic pain, much more. And so we're going to talk about how to get better sleep because it will indeed make us happier. So stay tuned. If you have a question, the number is 1-888-914-9149. You can also ask on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, to ask your question live. Joining me today for the show, we're going to dive into how psychology and Christianity actually complement one another when it comes to what it means to be happy, how to live out a happy life. Joining me to talk about this today is the author of the book, The Gospel of Happiness. Again, looking at how modern day psychology, even in a secular world, actually doesn't disagree with Christianity at all. He's the author of the book, The Gospel of Happiness. It's Dr. Chris Kayser. And we're going to again talk about this complementarity and how so often today's culture, we think, okay, we want to be happier, you know, be the best you, engage in meditation that everyone says is the best thing to do. But in reality, sometimes when people think their Christian faith is incompatible with what's happening in the trends in the world, we miss the reality that our faith is so scientifically centered because it's human centered, even before we understood all these deep studies behind psychology. So joining me now is Dr. Chris Kayser to dive into his work at the Gospel of Happiness. Welcome to Trending. Thank you very much. Really great to talk with you. Let's talk first about explaining positive psychology, the latest trend when it comes to being happy, and then how it's connected to living out Christianity. Yeah, so positive psychology is a relatively recent phenomenon, a movement in psychology. And it was started by a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he noticed that psychologists focused for the most part on depression, anxiety, all kinds of problems people were having. And so about 30 years ago, he said, you know, we really need to focus not only on the bad, but on the good not only on the negative, but also on the positive. And so for the last 30 years, people that are doing positive psychology have sought out things like, well, what makes people flourish? How can people have a better life? How is it that some people go through difficult times and emerge from those times strengthened? 
how can we have more gratitude? How can we have more forgiveness? And so basically they looked into all these things and tried to study them in a very empirical way. So double-blind studies, the same way that they study medication. And what they found, I found very, very interesting. They found that the practices of Christianity were actually practices that greatly increased people's well-being and happiness. And so, you know, for people that are Christians, it was a little bit like they rediscovered the wheel. They uh, came to understand the truth that being a grateful person, being a forgiving person, being someone who serves other people, all these things they found are psychologically healthy for us. And so in a certain way, the recent findings of psychology have really overthrown the kind of view of uh, early psychologists like Freud, who thought that Christianity would harm people and damage them psychologically. Basically, this more recent research has pointed out that Christian faith and practices are very helpful for people. It's interesting, as you mentioned, people such as Sigmund Freud, who really kind of made people think, well, wow, to live by any sort of life ethic, to have anything constrict you in any way, would, like you say, cause harm to the human person. So can you kind of bridge the gap a little bit and maybe give us some examples? I know you mentioned gratitude, forgiveness, and serving others, but even how a rule of life applied to ours kind of sets the tone for still helping us and living out virtue, that this is actually a good thing when we have restrictions? Yeah, the the interesting thing is, uh, in doing my research for this book, what I found is that, you know, what the Church teaches us are things that really are very helpful. So let me just use one example. Um, In the Our Father, Jesus uh, taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so you might say, well, this is kind of a rule that holds me down and restricts me. Maybe I want to take revenge on my enemies and punish them and it'll make me feel better. But when psychologists studied this, they found that people who vent their anger, people who scream bloody murder and go ballistic with other people, it turns out that actually is not a very healthy or helpful way of dealing with uh, the emotion of anger. And rather, what they found is that people who are able to forgive others, those people turned out to be more physically healthy, have fewer heart problems, have better time sleeping, than people who were filled with rage and anger and like to vent their anger on others and take revenge. And so this this idea in Christianity that we should forgive other people, again, you might think, oh, that's a rule that gets in in the way of my happiness and my flourishing. But in fact, the teaching of Jesus is something that helps people to flourish. Um, You might liken uh, holding on to your anger a little bit like, imagine you're really angry with me, and and so you think, I'm going to take revenge on Chris. I'm really going to get him back. And so it'd be a little bit like you're carrying around a bunch of burning hot coals, waiting for the moment that you're going to throw them in my face. But of course, when you're carrying around a bunch of burning hot coals, you know, you're the one who's getting burned by that, not me. So forgiving other people isn't uh, something that gets in the way of our flourishing and happiness, but really helps our flourishing and happiness. And Christianity discovered that before the positive psychology folks did. If you're just joining us, it's our weekly happy hour here on Trending. We're talking about how modern psychology and Christianity actually agree when it comes to what it means to be happy, how to get there along the way. Now, something you just said really stood out to me. Joining me is Dr. Chris Kayser, who wrote the book, The Gospel of Happiness. Uh, There's this saying that goes around, and it's very centered in a lot of modern spirituality surrounding Hinduism and Buddhism, Uh, karma, essentially. What comes around goes around. So some people might say, well, I can be happy without God if I have, you know, this positive virtue ethic where, you know, I give what I would like to receive back. I guess the question here when we're talking about how Christianity ties in 
Is that enough, or does Christianity actually take us a step further in happiness? Oh, I think Christianity really does take us uh, many steps further in happiness. So the findings of positive psychology, I think, are, are quite valuable and important. But Christianity gives us something that goes beyond what positive psychology can give us. And this is true in a number of dimensions. So one of the main ways, though, is the hope for everlasting life. So positive psychology really has no tools for dealing with the reality that all of us are going to die and everyone we love is going to die. And, you know, they can not really do anything about that. And by contrast, Christianity has the hope of the resurrection of the dead that, that Jesus has given us. And secondly, in terms of guilt, so I think all people who are trying to be good realize that sometimes they fail. I think that everybody who's striving to live a good life can recognize that sometimes they fail according to their own ideals. And again, Christianity has an answer for that in the forgiveness of sins. I think, you know, we as Catholics are particularly lucky because when I think almost everybody feels guilty, right? I think almost everybody does some things at least that they know, oh gosh, I shouldn't have done that. But we're really lucky as Catholics because we have the sacrament of confession. And any time that I've not lived up to my ideals, any time I've failed God, I can go to the sacrament of reconciliation and start over. You know, wipe away, throw out all the garbage that I've created and, and move forward in a new and clean way. And that is a huge, enormous blessing. And finally, Christianity offers us a relationship with the living God. So positive psychology, uh, you know, doesn't try to do that. It's, it's sort of neutral, you might say, with respect to God. It's not, you know, for God or against God. It just sort of is neutral, a little bit like most medications, right? If you take a medication for your, I don't know, uh, asthma, it's not really, you know, necessarily tied to God in any way. Uh, but Christianity, of course, points us towards perfect truth, perfect goodness, and perfect love. And offers us a relationship with God in Jesus. And so that's something, obviously, that goes way, way, way beyond anything that positive psychology can give us. Two really important things stood out there. The importance of relationship in Christianity, having a relationship that is with God, you're working toward a relationship with someone in human perfection versus that attitude of Hinduism and Buddhism of karma, what comes around goes around and that kind of being our inspiration, you know, for being nice to others so that they'll be nice back. It shows why it's not enough and it's ultimately not satisfying because it takes you from a self-seeking perspective to a perspective that goes beyond yourself into what is ultimately the transcendent. I think that that's why we see this synergy between modern psychology and Christianity because we see there the fusion of here's human nature, but also recognizing that human nature is actually called to so much more. And I think that's what's so profound about your book is it helps people to understand like you don't have to throw Christianity out in order to pursue a happy life day to day. Let's talk a little bit about how gratitude plays a role in this. You talk about many examples, but one of which is the three blessings exercise. Can you share a little about that? Sure, sure. There was a psychologist who did an experiment where he had people that were moderately depressed every day at the end of their day, think about any three things that day that they were grateful for. And so, you know, it could be a little thing like I had a nice lunch or I had a good call with a friend or, you know, something like that. And basically to recall this to mind at the end of their day. And what he found is that for these people that were depressed, about 93% of them reported an increase in their happiness and their optimism after doing this practice only for a couple weeks. And this practice is something that actually was recommended much earlier by St. Ignatius Loyola. 
So he recommended that the uh, that his followers, the early Jesuits, uh, sought to uh, think about their day and thank God for the blessings that were found in their day. And so, again, this is an interesting way in which Christianity anticipated the psychological finding that counting your blessings makes a difference for happiness. And I have to tell you, too, in my own life, uh, I found that this made an enormous difference and really was extremely helpful. So it's not just the psychological studies that have found this, but I know in my own personal experience, uh, looking over your day and thanking God for the blessings that are in your life really makes a profound difference for how happy someone is. Can you walk through the three blessings exercise that I know that you adopted and gave a few examples of in your book? Sure, sure. So if I think about, um, you know, the last 24 hours for me, um, I just had a call with a former student. He is now a student at Notre Dame. And so we talked for about, uh, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, and I got caught up. He's just got married and is having a baby with his wife. And um, and that is a great blessing for me because I love to reconnect with, with former students and hear mm-hmm. how they're doing and, and talk to them about, you know, where their life is going and things like that. So that'd be like one of the examples in my own life. Um, really great chance to connect with my wife last night and talk about her day. And, uh, you know, this morning for me, um, a time of prayer was was really a great blessing. So when you're looking at the three good things, you know, we're not talking about I won the lottery and I was elected governor of California. It doesn't have to be some, you know, earth shattering front page news. Right. But, you know, we're talking about everyday things. And basically when you do this, what happens is your eyes are opened, you might say, to the good that actually God has given you in your life. Because, you know, most of us uh, are not, you know, stuck in a prison or something and having an absolutely horrible day every single day. And even people that are in prison, uh, I remember hearing John McCain one time saying that even when he was a prisoner of war, that he was grateful in, you know, in the prison camp. And so, you know, that's what we can strive for is to look for the blessings that God has given us in our everyday normal life. And I think if we do that, we really will be more filled with joy. It's really fascinating kind of thinking about how this could even tie in to the whole idea of doing a nightly examination of conscience. So often we think of the negative side of an examination of conscience, of going through everything we struggled with or actually did wrong. But examination of conscience should actually and must include you know, seeing how, okay, I'm growing in virtue. I had this good experience. Here are the good things that happened. This is where gratitude, that examination, all of it flows in together with how prayer is at the heart of being happy. And I think that's another fundamental element of your book, The Gospel of Happiness. Can you speak briefly to how prayer and fasting actually tie into modern day psychology about being happy? Yeah, it's interesting. They've done some studies about fasting, and what they found is that fasting actually is a, a beneficial activity. So when you deprive yourself of uh, little pleasures. So I'm not talking about, you know, just bread and water for the next, you know, 40 days or something. But if you say, you know, you don't put butter on your bread or you don't put salt on your food or you uh, get out of bed right away when the alarm goes off, these are these are little things, but they're ways of correcting our natural tendency to seek pleasure too much. And so you might compare these to exercise. It's a little bit like you're doing sit-ups or pull-ups or something. And if you were to do sit-ups and pull-ups every day, you actually would really improve. You would get you would get a lot better at, at that and you'd get stronger. And so when we fast, it does two things for us. It helps us to correct our will, which tends to uh, seek pleasure too much, at least for most people. And it also uh, enlivens us and helps us to really appreciate 
the good that we have. And so, and that's a, that's a huge blessing to really uh, savor your meals because you've maybe, you know, delayed that a while or um, to really enjoy the, uh, the good things that you, that you have in life because you've deprived yourself voluntarily of some of those good things for a while. So, you know, the, the practice of fasting is not meant to be, uh, you know, negative in the sense of saying that the things of the world are bad. Um, the idea of a fast is you're giving up something that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a good thing. But you're choosing to give this up for the love of God. And in doing that, you're growing closer to God. And, and that really is the heart of happiness. So not only are there benefits of working through the will, helping us to appreciate things more when we fast, but like you said, that, again, the idea of relationship, when you give up something for a purpose, for a sacrifice, is so important. It's fascinating to dive into this research between modern psychology and Christianity. Joining me now is Dr. Chris Kayser, and we're going to come back, continuing to walk through his book, The Gospel of Happiness. We'll also discuss, and this is so fascinating, how we can actually strengthen our own willpower. But also, we have to keep the checks and balances, see how this fits into our Christian faith as well, with total dependence on God. So coming back up, we'll discuss that, as well as seven tips for how to sleep better and how when we get Sundays right, it actually makes us happier. Here during our weekly happy hour, don't go away. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Who doesn't want to be happier? That's why we talk about it every single week here on Monday. So if you know someone who could use a little perk in their step, Today, we're going to continue to talk about happiness from the perspective of how when we sleep more, we're happier. And also, when we get Sundays right, we actually find that we're happier day in and day out. Joining me now is Dr. Chris Kayser, and we are diving into his book, The Gospel of Happiness. He talks essentially about how modern-day psychology and Christianity, our Catholic faith, show the robustness of how we can truly be happy and it's not in disagreement. It complements one another. Now we're going to talk about how overcoming ourselves and strengthening willpower can actually make us happier. And it's practical and possible to do this, but also understanding the faith-filled perspective as well. Dr. Kayser, let's talk a little bit about this. You mentioned just a moment ago fasting, and I think this really does tie in to how strengthening our own willpower can make us happier. So let's tie the connection between fasting into that development of willpower. Yeah, there is a very direct connection. So uh, the psychologists talk about willpower as being a little bit like a muscle. And so if you want to get stronger muscles, if you want to be able to walk better or run better, whatever, it's really important to strengthen those muscles by practice. And so fasting is a way of strengthening our willpower muscle. Whenever you fast from something, you give up chocolate, give up drinking alcohol, whatever it is, you have to make a little bit of an effort. And when you make that effort, what's happening is you're strengthening that part of you that is in control, the self-control part of you, you might say. And so when we're fasting, we're able to, over time, make ourselves stronger in terms of these things. Now, with fasting, it is important, though, to do it in with practical wisdom. So what I mean is it is possible, of course, 
that someone could be uh, not using practical wisdom when they fast. And so they could take on uh, excessive fasting, right? If you're just going to say, well, I'm going to only have bread and water for 40 days or something. I think for most people that really would be excessive. (laughs) Hey, hey, we we are, you know, getting ready for Lent here. (laughs) Don't deter too many people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't know. I mean, with, with fasting, what Aquinas talks about is the importance of, of having a guide. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe your spiritual director does say that, that, you know, fasting like that would be great for you. But I do think it's important to have a guide where, you know, a spiritual director or a good priest is able to help you and say, okay, well, you know, it might be good to do this and maybe not to do that. Um, but fasting really is a path towards strengthening our willpower for sure. It, it does make me laugh because we're talking about this with about a month to go before Lent actually kicks in. And fasting is one of the hardest things for us Catholics. I don't know about you, Dr. Kayser, but sometimes, you know, it's so easy to make so many excuses about why I can't fast today or why I can't abstain from meat today. So I think it's interesting that our faith actually has a tremendous amount of guidelines, some of which have even been lost from kind of a little bit more rigorous of a fasting um, structure to our faith. And yet, this is what we're seeing in modern day psychology, as well as in some of the latest food fads that having willpower when it comes to food makes us healthier, it makes us happier, and it could even make us holier according to our faith. Right, right. And I think fasting doesn't need to be just about food. So for instance, uh, a very uh, good practice a lot of people do during Lent is to fast from alcohol. So, you know, they eat normally, but they don't, they don't drink alcohol. Another one might be to fast from social media, right? To turn off the the Instagram or whatever you have, and and to uh, either give it up all for all Lent or to to reduce it. So any of these uh, acts are ways of strengthening our willpower, and and along with the strengthening our willpower, I'm glad to hear that you're talking about getting sleep because that's another thing that really helps with willpower. When we're very tired and we didn't get enough sleep, it's going to be way harder for us to do everything we need to do. So getting a really good night's sleep, eating healthy food, and another thing that the researchers found was exercise, that if you can get in a good walk every day, that is really going to help us with our willpower. So there really are things we can do to strengthen our willpower, and that's a way of helping us to love God and to love our neighbor uh, better. Because if, you know, a lot of times when we do things that are wrong, I think it's that, you know, our willpower kind of gives out and, and we end up hurting other people or hurting ourselves. And so if we can strengthen our willpower, that's going to help us to be more filled with love, which is obviously leading to happiness. That's Dr. Chris Kayser, the author of the book, The Gospel of Happiness. We'll post a link now on social media if you'd like to pick up the book. 10 out of 10 recommend. It's a fantastic read filled with research, but practical tips to see how modern psychology, again, and our Catholic faith are complementary in pursuing a life of happiness, virtue, health, all the way around, which is why I love what you just mentioned about how ultimately in strengthening our willpower, you talked about the most basic elements, exercise, food, and sleep. And those are the areas where so many of us are struggling today, whether it is, you know, oh man, I'm not getting enough sleep and we complain day after day. But the question, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, do we actually plan or do we even desire to sleep more? Or are we just sticking with the status quo? And you could say the same about food. You could say the same about exercise. It's moving our will essentially to get things done. So as a philosopher, especially Dr. Kayser, explain to us a little bit more about the importance of the function of the will when it comes to this. 
Well, I think you're right. The will is, is really important. And, and the best thing to do, I think, is to make it easy for us, ourselves. So if you're talking about food, for example, let's say you want to eat more vegetables, right? Well, a good way to do that is to make it very concrete and very particular. And most people find that as the day goes on, their willpower becomes weaker. So if you plan to do something at 10 at night, wow, you might fall asleep before it gets done. So if you wanted to eat, say, more vegetables, uh, what I'd suggest is trying to do it in the morning. You wake up, you've got the willpower fully charged, you might say, and you're ready to go, and have that, um, you know, vegetable uh, at breakfast, right? Eat, eat a bunch of vegetables then. And that's true with most of our resolutions, that basically if you can do it earlier in the day, that is going to really help to make it more likely that we are going to uh, get get that thing done. So uh, that's true of resolutions like exercise, right? If we can exercise early in the day, if we can eat good food early in the day, and also with developing our, our life of prayer. So if we wait, at least if I wait until the end of the day, I'm going to pray at you know 1030 at night. Wow, I'm I'm asleep half the time by 10:30 at night, so it's not you know it's not a good time for me at all. And so much better is you know you get out of bed and maybe do it first thing, right? Right when you get up in the morning, um, you know make that a time of prayer for the for the beginning of the day. Uh, so that's one thing that I, I would recommend is to try to you might say make best use of times when you're strong to do the things that you really need to do in order to be stronger for the rest of the day. Now, we do not want to be Pelagianists here, thinking that we can obtain our salvation on our own, thinking that everything is just a matter of willpower and discipline. Although discipline, I do believe, equals freedom, and I may be quoting Jocko Willink here, the retired Navy SEAL. I think that his work's incredible. We can miss the mark if we think everything at the end of the day rests on our shoulders. And this is where Christianity comes in. Although we can work on virtue on our own, we need grace. We need the grace of God to accomplish things. So can you explain how that relationship is so important behind practical practice to strengthen our willpower, but also total dependence on God's grace? Oh, I think you're so right. Uh, salvation is not a matter of us having good willpower, and I'm so good that I just uh, work my way into the family of God. So salvation is always a gift, and it is a gift that comes from God by His own grace. And so, yeah, I think I think you're right. No one can earn salvation. No one becomes a child of God because they're so amazing with their willpower. This is really a gift that comes from God. At the same time, though, grace perfects nature. And so part of what grace can do is to help elevate our nature. So I wouldn't put it as a either willpower or grace, as if they're in a kind of battle. What I would say is that grace helps us in terms of our willpower, and our willpower can help us in terms of being open to grace. So these are really uh, well, like faith and reason. They're like two wings that enable us to fly up towards the truth. So I don't think we need to choose, you know, either we choose the nature of willpower or we choose grace. They really work together in the Catholic tradition, and that is, I think, part of the strength of seeing faith and reason really not as competitors or as enemies, but really as friends that can work together to make our lives better. You know, it's interesting because if you separate out kind of some of the attitude about uh, coming from our Protestant brothers and sisters, this idea in faith alone, right, when it comes to being saved, in a certain respect, it misses the complementarity of modern psychology. It's actually not totally scientific. The Catholic faith, the robustness of all of the practices and movements, the fasting and the prayer actually shows that complementarity between nature and grace, I think a little better. 
Yeah, and if you look at Jesus, he works with the things in the world. So with the Eucharist, he brings uh, bread and wine to a whole new level to become the body and blood of Christ. You see many times in the healings that Jesus does that he uses some material elements, right, that he'll make mud and put it in the the blind man's eye to, to cure him. And so, you know, we see in the example of Jesus, the material and the spiritual brought in this new harmony. And I think really that is what the sacraments are all about. They're material things that are brought to a spiritual purpose. They're infused with a supernatural power by God. And so, yeah, we as Catholics definitely don't want to choose, well, either we're going with grace or nature. No, grace and nature, uh, ideally, work in harmony so that God perfects the nature that God gave us. After all, nature is God's first gift to us. And so, you know, God doesn't take that away, but rather brings it to perfection by his grace. I think if someone were to take nothing else away from this conversation, it should at least be the reminder that we can't segment our lives. You know, say, here's my Catholic faith over over there. Here's my work life. Here's everything I have to do. Here's my sleep. When it's all integrated, when we see ourselves embodying our Christianity, embodying our Catholicism, will actually be a happier person because, again, this grace, our nature, the practical side of life with the grace-filled dimension and the sacraments, they all complement one another and help us to thrive. Oh, I think I think that's right. I think that's right. And that's why I think good spiritual directors are, are very attuned to both elements, right, both the nature and the grace. And we need to be use our practical wisdom and to be intelligent. I mean, God gave us our intelligence as a gift, and we should use that for his purposes, to love him and to love other people and to love ourselves. I mean, if we're, if we're supposed to love all human beings, well, obviously that includes us, right? I'm a human being, you are too. So we should love ourselves, and that means trying to use our practical wisdom to really figure out what really serves God's purposes. And sometimes that is getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, eating you know, healthy food, Uh, forgiving other people, being grateful to other people. These are all paths that God has given that can really help us as human beings to find deeper happiness. That's Dr. Chris Kayser. He wrote the book, The Gospel of Happiness. Don't wait till to get Lent to improve your life. Ordinary time is a great time to bring your ordinary day, your ordinary life into a better reality, a better joy, a greater sense of happiness and peace and well-being. So check out the book, The Gospel of Happiness. You can find it online. We're posting a link now on social media, and it will also be in the podcast notes for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kayser. We're going to come back talking about Seven tips to sleep better, which will make you happier. If you've taken nothing away from the last few minutes, we've been talking about the importance of sleep. We're also going to discuss how when we get Sundays right, we are actually happier. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. are talking. That's right. We're talking today about being happy again, yet again, being happier. It's our weekly happy hour here on Trending. We're going to dive into seven tips for how to sleep 
better, as well as how when we get Sundays right, this actually makes us happier. If you have a question, a comment, want to be happier and share your thoughts, especially from a Christian perspective, go ahead and give me a call. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Or if you have a question related to happiness, I'd be happy to take it live now on Instagram. Ask away at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Okay, so we spoke a couple weeks ago to, to Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. He's a top law enforcement trainer in the nation. And he was talking about the global epidemic of sleep, sleep deprivation. We talked about how suicide is the leading cause of it is actually lack of sleep chronic pain and the opioid crisis that we're dealing with has to do with people not getting enough sleep and so they're in chronic pain and they're having to medicate. Also, everything from caffeine abuse, you name it, sleep has become a huge problem. I threw a question up on social media a couple weeks ago asking if you got enough sleep and 75% of you, approaching 8 out of 10, said that you do not get enough sleep. I also heard a lot of excuses and reasons for why that doesn't happen, but Sam from Georgia actually called to tell us that when Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman was on a couple weeks ago, it's inspired him and he's now getting eight hours of sleep a night and he's giving credit to St. Joseph, the sleeping St. Joseph statue. Now, this is a total side tangent. This isn't part of the seven tips, but I was actually just pondering today my sleeping St. Joseph statue, I have it in my baby girl's room praying that she would always be a great sleeper. And I'll actually touch on that. If you're a parent and you're struggling with sleep, my child was not a natural, easy, like go to sleep and sleep all night kid, but we trained her. And thank God we trained her because she sleeps for 12 straight hours and has Almost the entire time since we've trained her and have had to go through the developmental jumps. I'll get to that in a minute if that's part of your concern about sleep. Uh, but we have a lot of tips here. Now, the sleeping St. Joseph, to just speak to that for a moment, I think is really important. There is a devotion behind a statue, literally, of St. Joseph laying on his side sleeping. Part of the idea is helping us to understand that God worked and intervened in St. Joseph's life time and time again in his sleep. The angel came to him multiple times in his sleep, prompting him to the will of God. And when St. Joseph would arise, he would obediently follow God's will in his life. God always keeping him safe and holy. And one day, ultimately, St. Joseph is but would have been in heaven. And so this sleeping St. Joseph statue, many things could be said of it, but I know for some people it has been helpful for them with that devotion and sleeping better at night. It's also a reminder for us of abandoning everything to God, letting go and trusting in him to accomplish all. This is actually why I was pondering just today my sleeping St. Joseph statue, because I tend to be really fast-paced and quick and always trying to get things done and stress myself out at times because just trying to take on too much too fast or doing it too quickly. This attitude that everything must be done now. And I was thinking how, because we're getting ready to move, in our new house, I want my sleeping St. Joseph statue to be in my room, not our baby girls. And the reason for that is because I need that reminder of total abandonment and trust in God, just like St. Joseph had this holy 
resignation to resignation to the will of God. And that is so important. Okay, so let's dive into seven tips for how to sleep better. And actually, we have a question coming in on Instagram from Andy Hapkett. The biggest weakness is picking up my iPad for a few minutes. I look up a quote few minute like in a few minutes later, it's 2 a.m. and I'm learning about quantum mechanics or some other random subject. Andy, don't worry, we're going to get to your question in a minute. Ash Rossio just commented saying, How did you sleep train your daughter? And St. Joseph, pray for me, asking for prayers. We'll pray, pray for you, Ashley. Don't worry. I will tell you how we sleep trained her. It's hidden in my seven tips here. There are probably actually 25 tips for sleeping, but we'll pretend that they're only seven because they kind of are in their own categories. Okay, so number one, because se- at least 75% of you are not sleeping enough. Here's my number one question for you, and it's also my top tip. Ask yourself this. Do I want to sleep more or sleep better? And if I do want to sleep better or sleep more, do I ever plan for it? Because here's the reality. Sleeping more, sleeping better is not going to happen accidentally. You're not just going to fall into bed at 8 p.m. if that's when you really need to go to bed in order to get a proper night's sleep. You're also not just going to fall off of using your phone with total self-control if every night you're staying up till 2 a.m. learning about quantum physics. So here's the beginning. Do you want to sleep better and do you plan for it? Okay, so that's, I think, the first question. All of that requires us to ask ourselves, and this is still just number one, how much sleep do I need? Medical research shows time and time again, we really need eight to nine hours of sleep. While people can survive decently, some people on seven hours, I am not one of those people who does well on seven hours of sleep. Full disclosure, nine is my prime, eight is getting by for me. I'll say that again. For me, I need nine hours of sleep, but eight is getting by. So I know if I'm skirting in with eight hours of sleep, I'm just getting enough rest and I need to make my way back up tonight. That's me. Maybe you can get away with seven. You may claim you can do well with four or five or six, but you are not matching up with all the research that says you're fooling yourself. You need eight to nine hours of sleep. Seven can be a bare minimum for some people. So with that in mind, we're still on tip one. Do I want to sleep more and am I planning for it? Knowing first then how much sleep your body needs, and you may not even know this, then we need to know what time do I actually have to go to bed and wake up to get this sleep? Do you plan for what time you go to bed and wake up? I think a lot of people don't. They think, oh, well, I have all these things to do. You can. You need to plan for it. You need to prepare. It's doable. I know I need a certain amount of sleep. That's one of the reasons why we really worked early on on sleep training our baby girl because we knew, one, I wanted her to be a really good independent sleeper, and two, I needed my sleep to be a good mom to her. I think that that was really important. So that number one, that question, ask yourself, do you want to sleep more and do you plan it? So now that we're into step two, now let's actually plan those sleeping hours. So this is where maybe you're a mom like me and you know you might need some extra hours of sleep. Maybe you know there's going to be some sort of disruption. Maybe you know I have to wake up. I have to be up by 5 a.m. every day. 
Well, that means you need to get to bed earlier. How do you transition your household into following that? You need to plan for your own home. But again, I mentioned earlier, one of the big things for our house was actually sleep training my kid. 10 out of 10 recommend. This is what worked for us. This is not a sales pitch. This is how great it was. Taking Kara Babies. That's taking, Kara is the name Kara, C-A-R-A, Babies. She has multiple courses based on the stage of development for your child, whether your child's a newborn. I did not do the newborn phase. I will probably try that next time, but we did the three to four month phase and then the five to 18 month phase. My kid has been a great sleeper. Grant, kids go through developmental jumps and so you have to retrain your kid at times, but I'll tell you what, starting at about, I think maybe four weeks, she was sleeping all the way through the night because we trained her. And when she struggled, we retrained her. Now I'll say this, don't try to do a sleep training program and not follow it precisely. I recommended this to some people. The people who followed it to the T succeeded. Those people who kind of tried to dabble in the sleeping program did not work for them, even though they said, well, we tried that, but did you follow it? No, it takes about 12 nights to train your baby. It's difficult, but it is so worth it. And my little girl, I think we trained her more so in about eight nights. So 10 out of 10 recommend. I'll make sure there's a link to that in the show notes because 12 glorious hours of sleep, sometimes 11 to 13 hours is usually the range. It's fabulous. I really, really recommend it. Okay, so that was number two is planning for things that might come in to impacting your sleep, such as a kid or having to be up at a certain time, or maybe even late evening events. You might have to change some of your evening lifestyle. Okay, number three in the seven tips for getting better sleep because it makes us happier is all about a dark room. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman has mentioned this. He highly recommends a sleep mask I've used sleep masks. This is what got me through college when my roommates would love to have the lights on all night or when they'd come home at like 4 a.m. in the morning and I'd be trying to sleep. Face masks were golden. You may not want to live your whole life in a face mask. I get it. But having one on hand for nights when it's just really helpful, I do recommend that. But maybe you're one person who wants to wear it every single night. So for me, though, it's more so been a matter of naturally having a very dark room. So making sure that the window is completely covered if you have ambient light outside so that you're not getting any light whatsoever peeking into your room. It's really important. For me, I'm, and a lot of people may not know this, but actually a lot of studies have been shown if you have even, let's say like a little red shining light coming from a TV or an electronic, especially if it's a blue or green light, those lights seriously impact your ability to sleep. So I know for me, I would fixate on that one light. I remember when I had a TV and had it in my room years ago, I would just stare for like an hour or two at that red light on my TV. Or I'd stare at the ceiling with that little green light that's so faint, but that's just there on whether it was the smoke detector or the carbon monoxide tester. And so I actually would take little sticky notes and I'd tear it into a little piece and I'd cover it on all of those lights in my room. I remember when my husband and I first got married, he thought it was really weird because there were itty bitty sticky notes everywhere on any lights that could come in. But he realized for him too, it was more relaxing. There wasn't anything to fixate and he had never thought about how he was actually fixating on things at night in his sleep. Um, 
With that comes, and we're going to get to electronics in a minute, uh, if you read at night or if you need a light, we actually use, you know, little, um, a red light reading light lamp so that it doesn't impact your vision and it's much softer, more relaxing on the eyes to transition right into sleep. So this brings me also to number four in the seven tips for sleeping better, electronic free bedroom. I know this is hard. A lot of people watch a movie before going to bed. There's no scientific proof whatsoever for how watching TV to sleep actually helps. We are fooling ourselves when we believe this. Same thing if we think that just, you know, vegging out and unwinding looking at our phones helps us. It doesn't. The light, the stimulation for the brain and the eyes is actually impacting our bottom line when it comes to sleep. We don't use our cell phones in bed. We don't take our phones to the bed. For the most part, we do not have our phones in the room unless it's used for an alarm and it's on the other side of the room on a counter and on airplane mode. No notifications, nothing going off. This has always been a big thing for us. It's really important and it really helps sleep. I've struggled with sleep in the past. I'm a great sleeper now. So is my husband. And these have been things that have really been game changers. So again, an electronic free bedroom. And this is really helpful if you're married for continuing to make sure there's good conversation. And it's great if you struggle with insomnia because then you don't turn to watch the TV or play with your phone or find yourself up at 2 a.m. at night. Turn off the phone. So this comes to my fifth tip. No electronics one hour before bed. I get it. I'm the same way. Sometimes I need to sh just send that one text or set my alarm or whatever still, but no electronic use other than that before bed. Stop replying to text messages. Stop reading them. This is so important because it allows the brain to unwind. It allows you to actually achieve during your sleep that REM sleep, that REM sleep that we hear all about that is a really good deep sleep that we need. You see, when we drink caffeine after lunchtime or really about eight hours before bed or when we're looking at blue light or have that blue light stimulation, even if it has a night shift mode, it usually does impact our ability to sleep properly. So, all of this being said, it's important that electronics are out of the bedroom and they're off an hour before bed. Okay, number six recommendation for going to bed, create a routine. When your body has this natural routine to transition into how to sleep at night, it's going to get into a momentum. We're starting because one of the earlier tips is, hey, make sure you're going to bed at a decent hour that you know is your regular time-ish to go to bed. But then also, maybe there's a routine you have. Maybe you need to take a shower or a bath to help you relax from the day and unwind. Maybe you need to make sure that you stop drinking so much water so you're not up a million times in the middle of the night or up avoiding getting up in the middle of the night because you have to go to the bathroom. Let's be real. Maybe part of your nighttime routine is you pray your rosary. You do your night prayer. All of this is part of our nighttime routine that, you know, relaxing, you know, getting ready for bed, rosary, night prayer, maybe even part of your nighttime routine includes looking at the calendar for the next day or so, putting together a little bit of that to-do list for the next day. We also try to dim lights and that includes everywhere from the bright lights that tend to blind us in the bathroom to the lights throughout the house. You know, having some more relaxing lights 
you know, even just taking some of those really pretty twinkly lights you can get that maybe you put up for decoration during Christmas indoors. Those are great ways to dim the room and give some fun light to your room as well in the later part of the day. We actually have had those up for ever since Christmas and it's nice because you don't have to have the super bright lights in your living room all the time but still have nice light. Okay, number seven tip and this is a big one for me, not only falling asleep but staying asleep the temperature in the room. If I am hot, I cannot sleep. I will toss, I will turn. It's no good. So make sure your thermostat is low enough. Make sure everyone has the adequate amount of blankets. Maybe someone in the house needs more heat. For example, our baby does. So we have an individual space heater in her room. And then the rest of the house is cool. It saves money, but it also allows you to be cooler. And there's a lot of research behind making sure you sleep in a cool room will actually help you sleep better. So those are all tips for how to sleep better. When we sleep better, we're happier, less moody, better equipped to respond to people. We have more self-control. We are in less pain. We're able to exercise more, eat better. We're not craving carbs as much. There's so much behind it. But maybe like you, I've also struggled with staying asleep. Maybe just waking up randomly in the middle of the night. So here are my five go-to things if you wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep. One, double checking that there's not light waking me up. Two, just working on breathing and relaxing. Three, sometimes I just didn't get enough movement in that day. I'm a super active person. If I don't move, I am restless. So even getting out of bed and stretching or doing a little bit of movement and laying back down can allow your body to actually relax and go to sleep. Fourth, just clearing your mind with reading. I read every night before I go to bed. Pick up your book, have, you know, the red light, reading light, and read a couple pages or for as long as you need. Then you're not frustrated that you weren't productive, but your brain can also be in a more relaxed state of thinking about something else. So make sure it's the right book for you. Or pray. Prayer is really helpful. I don't do the best about praying at in the middle of the night because I usually can't stay focused. Um, but again, it depends. Maybe if you're praying through your rosary. Number five, if you can't stay asleep, if you wake up in the middle of the night, the best thing you can do if you're still not asleep after a little while, get out of bed, go do something else for five or ten minutes, and then come back. Just whatever you do, don't go and use your electronics. That little distraction, that little change of pace can help you reboot and go back to sleep. It's actually a game changer if you really can't sleep. I do this all the time when I have a hard time sleeping. You are listening to Trending with Timory. I hope you are happier tomorrow, the next day, because you're going to start planning for more sleep. Relevantradio.com forward slash trending to subscribe. And please listen to this. Write down this checklist because you will sleep better and you can sleep better. There's a lot of research behind this. The better we sleep, the happier we are. So Go back, listen to this, and subscribe. Relevantradio.com forward slash trending.